Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Stephen, and welcome to the New Statesman podcast. Helen is in Finland, but I'm in the New Statesman bunker with Anoush talking about Theresa May versus the world, with John talking about the local elections, and then you ask us, who is our least favourite Brexit minister? And I'm joined by Anoush Shekelian, our senior staff writer, who is the first of this week's uh, I Can't Believe It's Not Helen Lewis substitutes. Um, How are you? I'm all right, thanks, Stephen. How are you? I'm good. Have you seen Theresa May's? I, I'm in a kind of weird, numb state of sort of like a mixture of amusement and fear. Yes, I think this week has just been a series of increasingly horrifying events that have basically worked to directly undermine everything that Theresa May is saying about her own campaign at home. So the joke is that she keeps walking around Britain telling people or telling Tory activists rather that she's a strong and stable leader and that a vote for her will be a better Brexit deal for Britain. And everything that's happening on the other side of the negotiating table suggests that Exactly the opposite is true. Yeah, she is not... I mean, maybe she's strong-willed, but I don't think the stability feels a bit of a stretch. But to kind of... To recap for the benefit of our audience, in case you haven't seen, a story appeared in a German newspaper uh, suggesting that a dinner with Jean-Claude Juncker had not gone well. It was a kind of classic leak story. It obviously come from Juncker. It was fairly self-aggrandizing on the... Yeah, it made Juncker look very good. A kind of classic file, and for, in, from the point of view of Downing Street, file and forget it. Literally minutes before we came into recording session, she has given a, an actual speech in front of Downing Street, going, "This shows that the EU, a, an institution dominated by the centre right at the moment, it should be noted." Uh, you know, Juncker, Juncker himself is, is the former prime minister of a country which is basically a tax haven, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think these people are plotting for Jeremy Corbyn to become prime minister. No, these people are not entryists. Um, but she, yes, yeah, she was saying that the. Um, the European leaders are trying to um, destabilise the British election. And she's got this obsession with with 
with this idea that the EU leaders are in any way interested in the British election. Maybe they would be if Britain was going to remain a member of the the European Union because they'd probably want a stable government in there rather than one that was destabilised. But actually, they don't care. Uh, The fact that she'll have a few more Tory MPs in Parliament in a few weeks' time doesn't really change the fact that that they don't want to give Britain the deal that she thinks that she can somehow get. Yeah, the, the whole the whole thing is is crazy. And the weird thing is, in terms of uh, the focus groups and the private polling that both sides are seeing and talking about and what people are saying on the doorstep, this message of, you know, I don't usually vote Tory, but this is a special election when I need to back Theresa May is, is working, right? So it it the, the speech would make some sense to me if she were drawing in the polls or behind in the polls, right? It... It would still be irresponsible, and I would still hope that the Prime Minister wouldn't give it. But she's averaging 45% of the vote. Yeah, in the exactly. Like, Domestically, she's going to be it, fine. It, it, she needs to concentrate on her relationships with these people that she's just trashing in it's public. Just like, well, it's like, there is just no example of like a time to be the better woman than when you are... Like, it's just like... oh, It, it does... It, being led by Theresa May does feel an awful lot like have you ever got in a car with a drunk driver and you suddenly you don't realise they're drunk until you're like behind the I know the situation yeah yeah and you're just like <laughs> I'm strong and stable you're like are you slurring your word oh god we're going really fast oh I'm gonna die in here aren't I um, because yeah I mean it's just remarkable um, yeah and I know it's a bit of a cliche but I think it's increasingly validating the accusation that Theresa May is basically government by Daily Mail. It's sort of the Brexit, it's the it's the saboteurs uh, rhetoric, but just dressed up in a Downing Street speech instead, isn't it? Yeah, I think what I'm also fascinated by is like Number 10's campaign grid today. So at 9am, David Davis was just like, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, you know, it's a gossip story. Look, this is going to happen during the debates. It's all chill. Philip Hammond's just like, yeah, we're not going to have democrat like diplomacy by megaphone. We're not dignifying this with a response. Three p.m. Theresa May <laughs> comes out in front of Downing Street. It's like basically like you know that Delia video when Norwich looked like they were going to get relaxed. She's basically kind of like, let's be having you. It's just like, what? I mean, that, let I'm, me at him. It's just like what? I, I, I just, I just don't understand it as an approach. Um, but yeah, I mean, electorally, I think it will it will work for them. Yeah, it will work for them electorally. But then I don't know how much goodwill the electorate will have when she completely destroys any chance of a Brexit that would yeah it does. deliver anything positive. It for, does for really voters. confirm the the yeah you know, never thought it is. But I think it does confirm a lot of what Dan Hodges wrote in that now infamous column where he said she's only going to do one term. Right? Mm. You know, if you're old and not planning to stick around for that long. This is a great opportunity for you to go down as like a record-breaking landslide winner by just punching the button marked xenophobia and we need to unify around a strong leader for the Brexit talks over and over again. Yeah. And then it's someone else's mess afterwards. But I just find it odd for someone who's clearly quite vain that she's not more worried about how she'll be seen by history. Yeah. And also for someone who's obsessed with the strength of her party and the unity of her party. I don't really see how this will possibly end up with that result. Yeah, but maybe it's not like a drunk driver thing will be. It's like one of those films where, like, they're on a road trip and they accidentally kill someone, right? Because they thought she was, like, a safe pair of hands. She's, like, shot some, like, person at a truck stop, and now they're in the car and they're like, we got to keep going or the fans <laughs> are going to get us. 
and that is that is basically where Britain is at now. We're yeah. just driving and hoping and driving and panicking. Uh, anyway, I I'm, think that's that's yeah. that's accurate. Yeah, I'm aware that you need to go. Thank you very much for for filling in for Helen. Thank you for having me. And now we're joined by our second Helen Lewis substitute, City Metric editor Dan Hannon Warrior, um, Romaniac John Alledge. Woo! I don't think I've ever been quite so depressed about my status in life that I'm not just a Helen Lewis substitute. I'm the second preference Helen Lewis substitute. Well, you're just the second in the running order. Uh. You're all equally of value to me um <laughs> but you are here in your capacity as sort of like devolution maven uh it is the everyone weird... just stopped listening to the podcast at that point you know that it's true yeah but we'd like to say hello to our one remaining listener um we are as we speak a day away from uh, the local elections uh, obviously some of you will will know the results but what we're going to do is we're going to kind of talk about what we would what what we would expect a good set of results to be. So, if you could just take us through the battleground in terms of the metro mayors. Sure. So, uh, background for anybody who's not aware: this is the the George Osborne Legacy Project, which, uh, to to create powerful regional mayors in the, so the city regions outside London. So, uh, there's going to be six of them. Um, and they are Greater Manchester, the Liverpool City region, the West Midlands, the West of England, which is a very unhelpful name for Greater Bristol, uh, Teesside, and the one which isn't a city region at all, which is Cambridgeshire, which was clearly a sop to the fact that the Tories didn't look like they could win any of the others. As it turns out, now we're actually here, I wonder if they might actually win a couple of those. In fact, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that the six I just listed, there's, I think they're contenders in four of them, right? It's really only Manchester and Liverpool where it's not, where it's definitely not going to happen. I know. So, I mean, so in terms of what, what would indicate a good result for Labour for the general election, they would win all of them other than Peterborough and win all but the Greater Bristol Mayor very well, right? Uh, the, the Tories, you would expect in a normal election cycle uh, for them to not win them because they're not particularly favourable. My instinct, though, in all of them, other than uh, than Peterborough, is I can't see where their second preferences will come from. So they all use the supplementary vote, so you have a first and a second preference. Um and I can't work out. So in Westminster, I can see how Andy Street might beat um, Sean Simon in the first round. But in the second round, in terms of getting to 50% of the vote plus one, where are his transfers coming from? Mm. Um, I, th I think that also holds true in, in Tees Valley, where a, a couple of weeks ago, a lot of the Labour people seemed to be worrying about that one. But now I'm told they're kind of, they've relaxed a little bit, which is good because Labour Sue Jeffrey is by far the best candidate up there and the Tory guy Ben Hoogen has basically just been trolling for attention but I mean they've got no Labour have got no chance in Greater Bristol right that's even if the Tories can't make it to the 50% plus one the guy who's likely to win will probably be Lib Dem Stephen Williams yeah I mean so the the, the interesting thing about the Bristol mayoralty is it's 
for a given value the word interesting and Helen's not here to stop me this week. Uh, but I'm going to talk about electoral reform, right? So because of the version of the alternative voting is used for the mayorals where you get two preferences, a first and a second. Now, in basically, in all of the other mayoralties, it is a two-horse race, right? Or in the case of Cambridge and Peterborough, basically a one-horse race with maybe if, you know, if Tim Farron cures cancer tomorrow, maybe people will love the Lib Dems so much they can win Cambridgeshire and Peterborough, but it feels unlikely. Um but in all of them, there's basically a your second and your second preference is for the Tories or Labour, right? And that's and those those are ultimately the two who are making it into the final round. In the west of England, the interesting thing is that you can you can see how you'll have a situation where a lot of people will put as their second preference Labour or the Liberal Democrats, and those just won't transfer at all because one Only of those will, free, one yeah. of those will come uh, third. So. My my instinct is that if the Lib Dems come second, they will almost certainly win because they'll get enough seconds from elsewhere. But equally, they might not because people don't really think of the Lib Dems as a contender, do they? They vote, they're the party you vote for first. So maybe the Tories will win kind of, because there, there are two ways to win in the second round. There's You get more votes or there's the threshold massively lowers for what I, is half of the vote. I, I think it's also worth bearing in mind the possibility that people don't necessarily understand this electoral system. Yeah, I mean, I think... Like, I think I, I, I can't remember the stats for the life of me, but I'm sure I've seen stuff that says in the, in the London elections, which I've been using this for years, the number of people who just don't express a second preference is kind of a bit baffling. Yeah, there's there's quite a lot of people who don't express any. Um, there's a lot of people who vote for the same person twice. So Sadiq Khan one, Sadiq Khan two. You know, for example, it is not it is not a system which there has been a good enough job of explaining to the the public. I mean, a lot of people I expect will will only know that they're voting in a preferential system tomorrow when they look at their ballot or today if you're listening today. Um, so, yeah, I don't think that's great. In terms of the wider battleground, it is county councils for the most part with only one metropolitan borough. So it is mainly uh, liberal conservative battles, although there are some interesting ones, Staffordshire, Derbyshire, where you would hope that Labour would uh, would, would make gains. But, but this is an odd one because it was quite a bad cycle for the Lib Dems last time. So in an odd way, in terms of working out what is good for uh, for it's quite easy to work out what a good result for the opposition is, right? That would be one where the opposition parties as a whole gained more seats than 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 the Conservatives in in England and Wales. Scotland obviously is a completely different political ecosystem and yeah, it's just just put it out of your mind for the purposes of Which I know much less about these than I do about the mayors, because mayors are exciting. Um, but which which counties are the most interesting to watch and why? Um, so the most interesting ones to watch are uh, Warwickshire, Derbyshire, Staffordshire in terms of the straight uh, Labour Conservative battle. They've all got marginal seats at Westminster um, and so they will give us an idea of how they're going. Now, as listeners to the excellent Skylines uh, podcast, which you uh, are the regular host of, will Available know, now from your podcast provider. Um when I appeared on that, I wasn't sure uh, what... So, basically, when there are local elections on the same day as the general election, people basically vote for who they want as the government, and then they just vote for that party throughout all of the races going on the same day, which mostly helps the governing party, really hurts the Lib Dems, and mildly hurts uh, whoever the 
one of the big two is, is second in that general election. The fascinating thing is that what seems to happen in local elections when they're held in the same year and not just on the same day is people get into general election mode. And they so they vote as if they're voting in a general election. So they tend to vote... So the governing party does better even when they're not held on the same day. So that was true in 1983 and 87 when they were held before, mm. and also 1992 when they were held afterwards. So, so this was my this was actually my first thought when they called the general election, um, because this is the kind of cool dude I am. My first thought was, well, Labour may have just lost the West Midlands mayoral because it was already a pretty tight race, and suddenly I just thought everyone's going to be going to that. Um, they're going to have they're not going to be thinking, you know. Andy Street versus Sean Simon. They're going to be thinking Theresa May versus Jeremy Corbyn. And that kind of pushes votes to the Tories, right? Yes. The one variable in all of this, though, is how big of a postal vote you have depends you know, on so many variables, how well organised one of your local parties is, all of your local parties, how much the local council has pushed it as a way to save money on overnight counts. You know, just there are so many uh, variables in terms of when people will actually have voted because some people may have sent their postal vote before there was a... So you will get two quite different uh, bits of, of behaviour. So but it's sounding suspiciously like the answer here is that we just don't bloody know anything. Well, the one thing we do know... Uh, if, if from basically every local election held uh, in the year of a general election, but not on the same day, is you can be absolutely certain if the historical trend holds, which obviously is a big if, but, you know, mostly the historical trend has done pretty well. Um, the opposition parties will not do better than they do on the 4th of May, on the 8th of June. The Conservatives will not do worse than they do on the on the fourth of May, on the eighth of June. So that's really the thing to watch out for, or if you're listening to after the thing to know when they because they will project the national share of the vote based on these bits of the country which vote and go. Well, if all of the country had voted, what would it get? And whatever the numbers and it spits out for Labour, basically that's almost certainly the ceiling of the Labour vote. Whatever number they spit out for the Conservatives, that is almost certainly their floor. Well, that's something to look forward to. You should really listen to my podcast, by the way. It is great. 
uh, beta-in-chief. Um, who is your least favourite Brexit minister and why? Minister. Not, it has to be one of the, the big three, as it were. It can be, yes. It has, it has to be one of Boris Johnson, um, Thingy Bobby, or, but yeah, it can Liam be Fox, any David leader. Davis, yeah. I mean, okay. I... Because you can think, have Theresa May if you want. Oh, I mean, like, objectively, she is the worst one in that she's the one with the most power and who is the most vexingly popular in the country at large, despite the fact that she's clearly completely incompetent and leading this country over a cliff and everyone's cheering because like the fact that people like me don't like her is exactly why so many people out there really do like her and the angrier i get at quite how bad she is at running the country the more popular she becomes and it's just bloody infuriating that there is no there is literally nothing that any of us can do to arrest the decline of this country into are you going to interrupt me at any point because really i my blood pressure is getting up i was just a bit frightened of you i mean i was i yeah you, you were I was worried you were also going to start spitting. I was thinking, I kind of assumed I'd wait till you started spitting and then burst in with, hey, dude, I asked for the news, not the weather, because I've always wanted to say that. That's a great joke on radio. Okay, more seriously, I think of those three, I think Liam Fox is probably the worst one. Partially because I think he's the most ideologically objectionable. Like, you know, Boris doesn't have any principles. Davis has i don't like his principles but they're clearly you know he they, he did once sort of quit the front bench on a matter of principle you know whereas like liam fox is just this kind of slimy far-right guy who was literally forced out of government after the head of the civil service was forced to refer to him as a security threat and yet he didn't you know he's still in politics he just hung around telling people that he might run for the leadership again one day and waiting for his moment to come back and I just think, you know, in a, in a less shameless age, he would probably be cleaning toilets somewhere, as John Profumo once did. Um, so I feel guilty about this because he is, of the three, and actually, no, civil servants at the Foreign Office, you know, some of them really don't like Boris, but he is um, um, he has a more mixed uh, re- reaction. Actually, a lot of people at, at Dexu quite like David Davis because they feel he's done the does the work and is polite, which is not something that people say a lot about the new Conservative government as opposed to Cameron's bunch who were polite to civil servants and nothing else. Uh, but, and, you know, Osborne in particular, weirdly, was regarded as a very good boss, including by people who really did not share his politics. Um, but I just don't like David Davis. I just, that he has a kind of, like, how hard can it be attitude that I find really aggravating. Yeah, this kind of, like, oh, how difficult. It's just, like, I mean, it's one of the most complex negotiations we've done at a point when we haven't done this type of negotiation for 40-odd years. Uh, He looks like the person you sort of say two words to at the start of a wedding and spend the rest of the evening avoiding because, like, he just latches on and you can't get rid of him again. I think he's that guy. He's the golf club bore kind of guy, right? Yeah, he is. But yeah, so I just, it's him. He's the guy who would recommend that you read a Tom Sharp novel. Yeah, yeah. So, David Davis or Liam Fox, surprisingly no votes for Boris Johnson. Which is a wonderful sentence to say, no (laughs) votes for Boris Johnson. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Stephen Bush, ably assisted by Anusha Kellyan and John Alledge. We're produced by India Book and mixed by James Shield. Our music is Devil by the Devil by the Underscore Orchestra, licensed under Creative Commons. Like what we're doing? Get in touch via email. Hate what we're doing? Get in touch politely via email or Twitter or Facebook. Let us know what you think. Give us your questions. 
howl at the moon at how social liberalism and social democracy are both dying on their asses. Anyway, get in touch. We love to hear from you and see you next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.